Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Let's get to Trin Nguyen, who's EM Asia Senior Economist at Natixis. Trin, it's pretty bearish out there, you know, slowing growth in the U.S. and an aggressive Fed, the energy crisis in, in Europe and China doing what it's doing. Uh, it almost feels like, you know, there's too many people getting on one side of the boat. Are we there yet? Well, I think it's, um, you know, it's bearish in the U.S., but not enough to soften the dollar, right? Because the ISM is still very strong. So I think the issue here, when you look at Asian FX weakening, um, we forget that actually quite a few economies are quite resilient. Um, obviously, if you're very linked to a slowing global cycle, particularly um, goods that people are trading um, because they're, you know, we have a cost of living crisis globally, um, such as uh, electronics, then, then you're not going to do as well. So we're talking about Japanese exports, Korean exports, um, and to even uh, Chinese exports, it's very likely to soften in the months ahead. But other countries are, are doing pretty well in Asia, even with the shock. So we're talking about Southeast Asia, particularly Indonesia, which has a positive return to its stock market, even with the global bear, uh, uh, you know, uh, market blooming. Yeah, you say, Indonesia, we've spoken to you before about the fact that you see some upside too for, for Vietnam. What kind of movement are we seeing in terms of foreign investment into some of these markets? If you look at the PMIs recently, the manufacturing PMI, there's an acceleration of uh, manufacturing PMI in Vietnam and in Indonesia and in Thailand. Across Southeast Asia, there's an acceleration and also even services for India. Um, and the resilience of these countries, um, to your point, is due to the fact that investment is surging. Um, in Indonesia, you have the highest FDI inflows in the first half um, into minings, metals, but not just that, into its domestic economy like ICT, telecom, and so on and so forth. Um, it is but it's a testament to the fact that um, A, demand there is pretty strong because of normalization. B, um, there is a global push to diversify too much concentration risk in China. And so you have rising investment that helps buffer um, the decline of demand. So you have these, these new increase of shipments. And Vietnam um, is also very attractive for manufacturing. So Indonesia is attractive for energy, for the ongoing crisis. And for the reshuffling of the energy transition to EV, because it has the largest uh, production of nickel and also the largest reserves. And it has policy to make sure that FDI goes there uh, with a ban on nickel ore and, and likely the tax on uh, on process. Um, the, so the, for Vietnam, it's a different uh, ballgame. Yeah, go for it. The, the big issue. Yeah, the big issue, I would think, is that, you know, you're saying that we could get more negative in the U.S. and they could start discounting recession. If you get a recession in the U.S., you probably get a global recession. And then do you really want to be selling commodities into that? 
Absolutely. But you still have an energy crisis in Europe. And I think that's a big uncertainty, right? So the softness of agri commodities, a lot of commodities, particularly the base metals have softened a lot. And when base metals soften, uh, we, you know, you see softening demand in China and so on and so forth. But coal is still very much likely to be in demand. And that's where Indonesia is still exporting a lot of it. And we're probably going to see a lot of transitioning into that. Um, so necessary if we're running out of Russian gas for Europe, right? Um, so there's a bid for that still. Um, you know, in places like Vietnam, there's big concern that if there's a global softening and it has exports as a share of GDP above 100%, should we worry about Vietnamese exports? And so okay. far, you see slowing down across Asia, but not yet in Vietnam because of the investment increase that we've discussed. We need to get your thoughts here on this incredibly uh, strong fix in terms of the bias from the PBOC and, and what they're really trying to do here to stem the yuan's decline. Well, I think monetary policy divergence is really stemming from very weak growth in China, right? Um, the lockdown news will continue. Um, uh, and, and I think markets are looking forward to at some point this will ease. But while that with a strong dollar, um, the PBLC is doing everything it can to signal it's supporting the yuan, but uh, monetary policy uh, divergence with the dollar will continue to put pressure on it. But how concerned are you about geopolitical uh, relations? Uh, we've seen a lot of policy this year that uh, runs a little bit counter to what we've seen in the past from China. But are, are you concerned about uh, U.S.-China relations? U.S.-China relations, there were some hope that when we have a new president, it would change, but actually has continued to deteriorate, particularly after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So it has moved not just U.S.-China tensions, but increasingly uh, West versus China tensions. And I think you're seeing that in investment flows, um, FDI flows um, into Southeast Asia uh, and India, not just by uh, the West, uh, North Asians, but also Chinese investors hedging this geopolitical risk that they expect to continue into the future, particularly um, uh, after uh, uh, the election of President Xi Jinping. And I think even that, uh, the, 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 there isn't any hope that tensions would ease. Um, and as a result of that, you will continue to hedge for this risk, uh, whether or not it's on the supply side, on the, the demand side, uh, particularly as China also moves up the value chain, right? So it isn't just geopolitical tensions, but is China really a, uh, a place where you arbitrage costs anymore, or is it increasingly a competitor for Germany, for South Korea, for Japan? And in South Korea, particularly, uh, 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 the administration is very clear that uh, the trade surplus they see with China is diminishing and they see that to be a threat. Um, and so and as a result, I think geopolitics will continue to dominate, not just the short term, but longer term. And you're seeing that in portfolio flows and FDI flows. Does the Party Congress change things for the outlook for China? Are we going to see some kind of easing away from COVID zero? And if that is the case, then does that become a more attractive story? The, the, the saying is now dynamic zero, right? Um, and I think some would interpret that it's hard to get it down to zero given how infectious it is. And of course, the policies are still in place, but some are hoping that November would be a change. But the question is, the delta of the change, is it going to be from zero to endemic or is it going to be from zero to dynamic zero, right? With some kind of restrictions still in place. If that's the case, then um, you may have exports. Um, and, and certainly if you look at China growth, it has been driven by the external sector, really the rebound of the rest of Asia, the rebound of the U.S. And even the EU with all this doom and gloom still has a pretty good first half. So 
you know, what about Chinese domestic demand? Is it going to be slightly better? Likely. Is it going to be significantly better? That is the question, because right now sentiment is very low uh, you know, we, uh, due to the lockdowns and, and, and also other sectors, right? We heard China's ambassador to Australia make an unusual comment last night. Uh, he said that President Xi Jinping has broad support for more time in office. Uh, are you hearing anything about questions about President Xi's reign? Um, well, I, I'm not a political scientist that I can projecture on the, the future of director, uh, future of, of, of policies, uh, and, and, and also his, his his hold and power in China. But one thing I would say is, if he he has consolidated power, and if he successfully continue, he will continue his mandate, right? And if you mm. have to look at what his mandate so far, um, the question we have to ask is that. Uh, will that a ease geopolitical tensions? Will that uh, be very helpful for investors in the long term? Certainly, yeah, Trin, we're going to have to leave it there. But thanks, as always, Trin Yu and EM Asia senior economist at Texas on the line from Hong Kong for us here on Daybreak Asia. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions. July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor: Amazon. Official airline: Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com/GreenFestival.